0: looking at Acts chapter 16 this morning together. Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read from verses 16 through to the end of the chapter in verse 40. Jesus changes lives. That's our theme and topic for today. Uh, A wonderful passage to look at together. Acts chapter 16 verse 60. 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologised to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers... They encouraged them and departed. Amen. Well, friends, the joy of preaching the book of Acts is that the book of Acts is, from start to end, simply one big story. And the big story is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ, alive today in heaven, alive today in heaven, is still Filling the world with his gospel, spreading the news that he is king and saviour from shore to shore and right through to the very ends of the earth. That is the message of the book of Acts, that Jesus is filling the world with his good news. It's easy to lose sight of it as week by week we're just looking at little individual parts of the spread of his rule. But that is the big picture. And, you know, maybe that itself today, what I've just said there, maybe that is all you need to know today. There is bad news, isn't there, on every hand, whatever news channel you flick to and turn on. Not not just bad news globally, but I think there is bad feeling on a global scale at the minute. People are stressed and emotional and angry. We're fearful and worried. And so maybe today the very best thing you can do is simply to drink deeply again from the well of the Bible that says Jesus is King. This very day, Jesus is alive in heaven, ruling and reigning, spreading his loving rule to the ends of the earth. Take comfort today, friends, please. Jesus is king, not our governments, whether you think our government is doing things well or badly, wherever you are on the spectrum, we are living, aren't we, in out-of-season days. And my job is to preach God's word in season and out of season. Here we are at the minute, I think, out of season. And whether we are out of season or in season, Jesus is king. And he is changing lives all over the world, all over the world. Today's passage that we're going to look at is all part of last week's story. It's just simply two more episodes, two more people that we meet in the story of the gospel reaching Philippi, a leading city of the ancient world, a Roman colony, a Roman colony hearing the gospel. Don't underestimate the significance of that, friends. The very nation who had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Here are those people hearing the gospel now in their territory, on their turf. People are now bowing the knee to the man they executed. And I want to take us through these verses with three points, three things to see. Number one, look how the servants of Jesus act Look how the servants of Jesus act. Number two, look who the good news of Jesus includes. Look who the good news of Jesus includes. And number three, look how the good news of Jesus changes. How the servants act, who it includes, and how the news of Jesus changes. Look at the first one with me. Look how the servants of Jesus act. What I want want to show you here is exactly the same thing that we saw last week. Do you remember what I said there? The most important things we have to do are the very things that we are powerless to do. The most important things we have to do are the things that we are powerless to do. I think that seemed to resonate with many of you. I had a lot of encouraging feedback about that particular line because this is all about closed doors isn't it in this passage and you're living with closed doors and I'm living with closed doors and all these closed doors all around us wherever we look these things are God's way of teaching us that the very things we have to do are the things we are powerless to do and we see that again here right in front of us Paul and Silas no, don't they, that the most important thing they have to do with the slave girl, bringing her to Jesus, they were powerless to do. Look at verse 18. What do they say to her and to the evil spirit within her? I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. It's not their own name they're using, is it? It's Jesus's name they're using. In prison, verses 25 and 26, that they're beaten black and blue And they are powerless, aren't they, to take the gospel any further. The doors are shut all around them. The stocks around their feet are real. Look at the description, verse 24. We're we're meant to notice this. They have been put in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. They're going nowhere. And the gospel has been silenced, it seems. The most important thing they have to do, they are powerless to do. So who does it all? The Lord Jesus himself, living, ruling, reigning from heaven. Look at verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. Can I just ask you again, as you're watching today, can I ask you again, how have you been through this past week with all your closed doors? I preached on it last week about God being in charge, about a fatherly hand closing the doors, and then I had to live with it all week. More closed doors, more frustrations, and let me tell you, it has been tough. Tough in our house, tough for me, tough for you, I'm sure. But you know, Paul and Silas here, they show us how to handle it, don't they? They show us what to do, verse 25, about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. They were not only in literal lockdown like we are, they were in literal lockdown and they were singing and praising, but more than that, they were beaten black and blue, their very bodies bleeding, open wounds aching, and they were singing and praying. I find it so humbling. Tertullian, the church father, said, it does not matter if your feet are in stocks, if your heart is in heaven. It does not matter if your feet are in stocks, if your heart is with the Lord Jesus Christ on his throne in heaven. Ah, uh, They might be in prison, mightn't they here, but they know that their Jesus has the keys and is holding them fast. He's in charge of their lockdown, not anybody else. Oh, they know him as the world's true king and they have not stopped loving him or trusting him or opening their hearts to him. I wonder with closed doors, has it led to closed heart towards Jesus, the very one who has been closing the doors of your life? Don't let it be so, friends. Be like Paul and Silas here. As doors close, open yourself up to God. I want us just to notice this. Do you you remember at the very start of the chapter, chapter 16, the strange circumcision of Timothy? I said there that that is because open doors matter to Paul more than anything else in all the world. That's why Paul has Timothy circumcised. If this will help you get the gospel, I will do it. That's the attitude. Open doors for the gospel are everything and matter more than anything else. Well, That's the start of the chapter. What did you make of the end of the chapter? Paul set free in verse 36 and refusing to go, refusing to walk out of the open door. Why? Verse 37, Paul said, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and had us thrown into prison. Now they want us to walk out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Let them do this in broad daylight for all to see. Why is Paul doing this? Exactly the same as the start of the chapter, because for him, open doors for the gospel are everything. Open doors for the gospel are everything. If he fights here for his rights as a Roman citizen, that could do more good for the gospel than simply walking free and over the hill into the sunset. Oh friends, look how the servants of Jesus act here. He is in charge, not us. He sets people free, not us. We praise Him and love Him and trust Him no matter what happens to us. And, and, when it is right to do so, we insist on the rules and rights of law. We use our citizens' rights if it will further the gospel. See, where does Paul want to get to? What is his master strategy that is going to emerge in the coming weeks and months? Where is Paul going? He's going to Rome. To Rome. He wants to take the gospel right into the heart of the beast, if you like. He wants to walk right into the lion's den and give Rome the gospel. And he knows that this will help. Standing on his rights, using his rights. It might create more freedoms for others. His example might pave the way for other gospel freedoms. And, you know, I think we are moving into an era where Christian leaders are going to need to be very, very wise about which things to let go and which things to fight all the way to the top as much as we can for the good of the gospel. Oh, let the principle always be not standing on my rights for me, for ease and comfort for me, but an open door for the gospel for others. That has been the case in several recent prominent court cases as Christians have decided this is not the right thing to lie down on. If I win here, others may follow in my wake and benefit, and some go in our favour, some we lose, and so it always is as Christian leaders seek to be wise when to say you win. When to say no, because I belong to Jesus, this must be stood against. Oh, pray for your leaders, friends. Pray for us. We're going to need help with that, I suspect, in coming years, more and more. That's number one. Look how the servants of Jesus act. Number two, look who the good news of Jesus includes. Look who the good news of Jesus includes. Friends, this is... Two delightful stories from verses 16 down to 24, the slave girl and then the Philippian jailer from verse 25. I think this is beautifully apt for where we are in the world today and the events of the past few weeks. You friends, look who the good news of Jesus welcomes and says you may come in. Last week in Philippi, remember, we met Lydia The rich businesswoman, do you notice that they met her in Philippi? Yes, but do you remember verse 14? Do you remember where she's from? Thyatira, Thyatira, another city. She's living and working in this city, but she's from that city. She's an outsider, an immigrant, and the Lord opens her heart. Luke is saying that this good news that is now bursting boundaries and spreading and growing... This good news that used to have a a national border around it in Palestine, the promised land, that border is gone. And outsiders from outside a place that is outside can now be included. Then today's passage, the good news of Jesus meets this demon possessed slave girl. Look at verse 17. She followed Paul and us crying out. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. It's almost certain that this girl would have been Greek. This phrase that she's using here, the Most High God, was used by Greeks to refer to Zeus, one of their deities. And it's likely that in following Paul and Silas around and shouting these words that it's likely that what she's doing is saying, look, we're all in this together. We're all spiritual people. We're all religions, all here to help you. I can tell you the future and read your palm and give you your fortune. But these guys, well, they can give you another angle on spirituality. It's possible that her owners were using her to try and strike up a business deal. But with Paul and Silas, let's go in together and make more money. My girl can do this. You, you guys can do that. Together we'll take a cut of the prophets. And look, she can be included. A demon-possessed slave girl. She can be included. Jesus frees her of this demon. Do you see what's happening by the time you get to the end of this story? Rich woman, poor woman. Free woman, slave woman. Immigrant woman. Native women, oh, the doors are open, wide open. And third person, the jailer. It's very likely, apparently, that most jailers at this time were retired soldiers or army veterans. A bit like we might tend to see today that uh, security contractors hire a private firm that tend to be made up of uh, former military personnel. Tough men who get the job done who are ex-military. And like all officials in the legal administration of a Roman colony, this man was almost certainly a Roman himself. Do you see what Luke is showing us? In one occupied city, three people brought up with different national cultures, but now all of them united together in Jesus. Three nationalities forming the very beginnings of this little church plant in Philippi that was to become so significant for Paul on his missionary journeys, so wealthy, so full of the gospel and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that the letter that Paul writes to them eventually one day, we still have in our Bibles. All these different people included in Jesus' kingdom as it spreads. Oh, I love this. I love this. Do you know, friends, the deepest problem with racism, the deepest problem with racism is the very idea that different races exist. That's the very essence of the problem. We've bought the lie that there is such a thing as different races. No, the Bible speaks of one race, the human race, all descended from our father, Adam. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, all those different characteristics of our one race are never, ever used to say that one type of person is better or greater or of more worth or value than anybody else. Now, there is racism here in this passage, but it is not from Christ's people. There it is in verse 20, when they had brought Paul and Silas to the magistrates, they said these men are Jews. You imagine the sneer in their in their voice, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to practice. We we don't do here what people like that do. They are ruining our culture, our way of life. Now this is this is never how Christian people speak. It should never be how Christian folks speak. We we never ever put national distinctions or racial distinctions above gospel distinctions, do we? You know, I was speaking with Ben Trainer this week about the race riots that have been happening and filling uh, the news headlines. Speaking to him about life in the states and a little bit more about what life is like for them at the minute, and he said this. He said this to me. I, I think it. I think is I think it's right. He said. I'm convinced that the main way the Bible speaks about racism is what we meet in the letter of James. It is the sin of partiality. The sin of partiality. That's what racism is, showing partiality, favoritism, to one type of person over another. And then Ben said this, he said, you know, I think in Scotland... It is easy to want to fall in line behind a slogan like Black Lives Matter and to think, well, of course we agree with that. We agree with that. But for us, black lives are not the problem for us. Maybe it is English lives or Tory lives or some other kind of lives, whoever it may be, whatever it may be. See, the the human condition is true, isn't it? It is always True, that we see the speck in other people's eyes and ignore the log in our own eye. To think we're not racist, while certainly showing partiality and favouritism to our own type of people, to one segment of society. Brothers and sisters, look at this passage. Look who the gospel of Jesus includes. One new church plant in one small part of the ancient world in a Roman colony could show us and should show us that the door is open to you, whoever you are, whichever part of the United Kingdom you come from, wherever you're from in the world, whatever you look like, whatever your sex, whatever you have done with your sexuality, whatever your gender preference, whatever your social status and standing in life, whoever you are, however you have tried to construct yourself, On your own terms, whatever you have left behind you, maybe a trail of wreckage and broken relationships, empty promises, decisions made that you wish you could undo and take back. Or whoever you are today and wherever you're from and whatever you've done, look who can be included in Jesus's family. The whole point of this part of the Bible is to say there are no barriers. The further out you move, the more people can be included. The more, not less. Acts chapter 10 verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth. See, this is why this is here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10 verse 40, Acts chapter 10 verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is is acceptable to him. I want to ask you just to pause today and to ask yourself, what might that look like for you? God shows no partiality. No partiality. Are there certain types of people that just annoy you? You know what it's like? They they come on the news and you always switch them off. Or, I can't bear that man. I can't stand that woman, we say. "Who Whose opinions can you not stand to listen to? They are probably the very person you would not like to have in church beside you. Passing you bread and wine and saying, brother, sister. The person that Jesus needs to change, if that is true, is you. Not them. Look who Jesus includes. Number three, to finish. Number three, look how the good news of Jesus changes. Friends, look how the good news of Jesus changes. Scattered through these stories are lovely details. Lovely details of real change in people's lives. Look at chapter 16, verse 15, the story of Lydia After she was baptised and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Do you know wolves in sheep's clothing and false shepherds, it's the other way around with them, they heavily prevail on the sheep. Wolves in sheep's clothing heavily prevail on the sheep, taking from the sheep, taking and taking and taking. Always asking things of them. But genuine conversion works exactly the other way around. Here, she is a new Christian and she's just trying to give and to give and to give. Come to my house. Have what I have. Stay. Don't leave. It's what happens when the Lord opens somebody's heart. And here, when the Lord opens the heart of a wealthy business person, he always, always opens their wallet. It's what happens is... People want to give what they have. Philip, The church in Philippi becomes known as a wealthy church, a giving church. Jesus changes lives. Did you notice the cruelty of these verses? This poor girl in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and who brought her owners much gain by her fortune telling. Verse 19, when they saw that their hope of gain was gone. Her owners, when they saw that their hope of gain was gone. What an awful description for one human being to be described as owned by another human being. You know, friends, today, make no mistake... That whatever mistakes the church has made through the centuries when it comes to the issue of slavery and human rights and our forefathers in the faith did make many mistakes. But make no mistake today, friends, when it comes to that issue, the good news of Jesus contains at its very heart this truth that would one day explode across the world when it was properly grasped and understood that, All human beings are created in the image of God, created equal, male, female, black, white. From one father, he made the human race. All human beings created in the image of God and of inestimable value and worth to God, whoever they are, whatever they look like, wherever they're from, no one human being may ever be above another human being owning them for financial gain. Oh well, friends, look how the good news of Jesus changes a life as a broken life here is redeemed from financial corruption and shameful, shameful gain and a young girl is set free from the most degrading form of slavery. What about the jailer? Well, he's just another picture, isn't he, of the life that Jesus changes. I think verse 31 that we have is just a summary statement of what they must have shared with him. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Who knows how long it took or... What questions he had or what bits of the puzzle he needed joined up and how they had to explain the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and his return to heaven as ruling king at the father's right hand. Those are all the things we have to say to people, don't we, as we tell them to believe on the Lord Jesus for them to be saved. But make no mistakes, friend. Make no mistake. Jesus changed this man's life. Jesus changed this man's life. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I I just love verse 33. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Well, this man has just been washed by Jesus. And now he washes the very wounds that he probably inflicted just hours ago. The very wounds he might have inflicted or seen being inflicted. He lays down his rod and he swaps it for water. He washes them clean because he has been washed clean by Jesus. Washed clean by Jesus in baptism, he now gives back in washing their stripes. It's always reciprocal, isn't it? Like Lydia, receiving from Jesus and giving straight back to Jesus. Giving straight back to his people. Jesus has taken his sins and buried them, buried them in his own grave. And this man has been laid down with him in baptism, left his sins there, risen, cleansed and new. You know, friends, today we live in days of cancel culture, don't we? Cancel culture. Have you heard that phrase? It it refers to how today we cancel people. When they make a big mistake or say something that our world deems unacceptable. They just get cancelled. You're finished. You're done. You're over. We don't want you anymore. One strike and you're out. J.K. Rowling speaks out on transgender issues. Cancelled. Dominic Raab makes a mistake in speaking about taking a knee in the Black Lives Matter movement. That is unforgivable. Caroline Flack and the domestic abuse situation she was uh, part of, found herself caught up in, cancelled by the world, cancelled by the media, the very media who had lauded her. Tweets from somebody's past that somebody digs out, yesterday's actions, words that you said that hurt me, things that you did to me that were truly wrong, you are now cancelled. And Acts chapter 16 says to us today, friends, in the kingdom, in the kingdom that Jesus is spreading from shore to shore. Acts chapter 16, the Lord Jesus himself says to us, in my kingdom, no, there is no cancel culture in my kingdom. Oh, friends, it is beautiful beyond words. There is no cancel cancel culture in Jesus's family. He never reaches down from heaven and erases people. You know, somebody said this week that never before has our world demanded so much constant atonement for wrongs committed while hating the idea of forgiveness. Never before has our world demanded so much constant atonement for things done wrong in the past, while at the same time saying the one thing ...that may not happen here is forgiveness. No, people must pay. People must pay. I think that's so true. Race crimes, gun crimes, statue crimes... ...handling the pandemic crimes, gender crimes. And the good news of Jesus says to our world... ...yes, more than you know, atonement is needed... Yes, all wrongs have to be righted, but oh, they can be forgiven. Oh, they can be forgiven. For Jesus himself takes to himself the wrongs of humankind, bears our guilt, takes our punishment in our place, and offers forgiveness. Oh, the wrongs here of a Roman soldier. Can you imagine it? A Roman soldier. A Roman jailer, Roman, the very people who nailed the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross. Oh, his every wrong and the sin of every blow that was laid on the back of Jesus's servants. Every one of those wrongs, Acts chapter 16 says, can be buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism. And those same waters can wash clean. I don't know anything better than this friends. I don't have anything greater than this to give you today, for there is nothing better, nothing greater than this in all the world and the great and glorious and wonderful truth that Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. Amen.